and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. And I'm Jenny Abamu. So Jeff, I hear this week we are talking about privacy. What's going on? I think a lot of people are wondering about all of the stuff they've been doing on social media all these years. How, you know, how far that has maybe spread without them realizing it. Jenny, what do you think? Are you, are you going to delete your Facebook profile or anything? Or You know, I'm... I'm not going to delete it, but I did decide to kind of just remove all my information from it because, you know, I'm not trying to get got by these Facebook guys. (laughs) Well, I've definitely stopped using Facebook as far as posting, but yeah, I haven't deleted it yet either. So there's this kind of, I wonder if a lot of people are having this kind of holding pattern while they kind of weigh, how do I do this? Yeah, I I think that the privacy discussion has been something that's really, really taking off. And as people become more aware of what's happening with their personal information, they are becoming more concerned. Rumor has it that you've spoken to a researcher about this. Yeah, I I was excited to talk with this um, researcher at University of Maryland, Jennifer Goldbeck. And she has been digging into this for years. Apparently, there's this whole group of researchers around the world who have been experimenting with, with how Facebook data could be used in other social networks. And, and some, some of them have been actually doing it to warn the public and the company about just the kind of thing that happened, um, with the, the, the thing we, the breach we saw with Cambridge Analytica's, um, you know, that, that people are talking about so much these days. Well, I know that our li- our listeners are really, really curious about what's going on with Facebook and what their rights are on social media and how, whether they'll even keep their kids on social media. So yeah, we really li- look forward to hearing with the podcast. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. So thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm really interested in your research, um, Jen, because I saw this TED Talk that you gave several years ago. In fact, I was I, I was like, is this date right? It was like 2013, I think, where you yeah. were talking about, yeah. you were talking about, you have no idea what these social media do doing. Liking a few things, people can can tell a lot about you and and it, it had this, like many good TED Talks, it had this note of like, really? How did, maybe just to start off, if you could tell us how you got into following um, some of these issues of data privacy and, and the way social media works, um, what you've been doing for several years. Yeah, um, I do research, right? I build these algorithms that uh, take your social media data and find things out about you, like your personality traits, which is what Cambridge Analytica was doing. Uh, They cited my research papers, actually, which kind of creeps me out. Um, But as, you know, as I was doing that work, which I think we published, we really did the first work in that space in my lab, uh, probably in like 2011 or 12. And as we kept going, what we found is that Anything we wanted to find out about people, like we go, oh, let's see if we can do narcissism. Oh, let's see if we can do political preferences. It worked for everything. Like there wasn't anything that we said, oh, let's see if we can find this out about people. And then, oh, no, it didn't work. Everything worked. Just yeah, grabbing I mean, the, the number of things they liked or looking at what they liked on Facebook. Yeah. So the likes um, the in the TED Talk, as you mentioned, I, I cite this study that was actually done at Cambridge uh, by some of the people who overlapped in the Cambridge Analytica space using just Facebook likes. They can find out uh, personality traits, political preferences, demographics like race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, uh, behavioral mm-hmm. things, like you drink or smoke or use drugs. 
your intelligence, all of this just from likes. But it's not only likes. We can find these things out by analyzing the structure of the text that you write. So not really the content, but like verbs and adverbs and what do your sentences look like. Um, there's actually a great study that uses your Instagram profile picture that can diagnose if you're clinically depressed just from that one photo. Uh, and basically any data source that we found has had enough signal that we can find out these kinds of attributes. And that's super powerful, right? Because you can't hide from them. It's not like this logical connection. Um, it's very statistical. And so it's not like, oh, you like the Jim Beam page on Facebook, and that tells us that you're a drinker. It's completely non-obvious stuff. And that really got me worried, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, in fact, you mentioned curly fries in your talk. So if I like curly fries, that means something? Yeah. So in that, in that Cambridge paper that I mentioned where they were looking at the likes, they listed the four likes that were the strongest predictors of intelligence. And they were liking the pages for science, thunderstorms, the Colbert Report, and curly fries. Yeah. And you go like, why curly fries? And you know, the answer is that we don't know really, but what it is kind of on a bigger level is that when we like stuff on Facebook, it's not just these inherent personal things about us. It's a social process, right? Even if you love curly fries, you might not go say, oh, let's go find a curly fries page so I can like it, right? You come across it because like a friend likes it or you stumble into it and then you do that. And these algorithms can pick up these little kind of remnants of social interaction. They don't actually see your network interactions but they see the things you do because of it. And that allows them to make these inferences that seem completely illogical, but essentially they're pulling up like little traces of social interaction and you can't hide that. And so that made me super concerned because obviously I think there's good ways these algorithms can be used. That's why I make them. But obviously we have seen finally that people are going to use them in really bad ways too. And uh, yeah, so I did that TED talk in October of 2013. And I feel like I have been kind of screaming, not necessarily into the void, because a lot of people have listened to me for the last four years. Um, I mean, I, I've talked to hundreds of thousands of people about this. But the last month has really been like this Cassandra moment for me, right? Like I've been saying this was going to happen. And now finally, people uh, have to believe me about it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess there's this sense that, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, everyone that's been watching the news at all knows that he testified from the House and the Senate last week hours and hours, I think more than 10 hours of testimony. They're asking him questions like everything about this, this breach and what Facebook should do, could do better. But this, this idea, it sounds like it's not that the company didn't know that this could happen, right? In, in some way. I mean, they probably read your research as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I was building Facebook apps at the same time that this stuff was going on where Cambridge Analytica was grabbing all the data that we've seen in the news, what has been called this data breach. I was building Facebook apps then too, to do the same thing, but with like hmm. university ethical approval and really strict rules about how to use the data. And Facebook had rules that Cambridge Analytica violated. So they said, if you're an academic, you collect this data, you're not allowed to hand it over to somebody else. Uh, I followed those rules, but there's sure. no way they would know if I followed those rules. I remember thinking at the time, like it would be so easy to just grab this massive amount of data. Facebook would never know that I kept a copy of it and I could do whatever I wanted with it. So we're hearing about it now with Cambridge Analytica and they definitely broke some rules, but I'm sure that there's hundreds of companies, if not thousands of apps that did the same kind of thing, collected these 
big quantities of data in violation of Facebook's rules. And so sure, they violated Facebook rules. But Facebook, I mean, if I was thinking about this, and I'm just like one researcher, the smart people at Facebook obviously had thought about this. And every time something happens, they kind of change the rules and fix it, which is good that they're fixing the rules. But they haven't really been as proactive as they need to be in thinking about what are the ways that people could take this, that they could break our rules, that they could misuse the data that we're handing over to them. Um, and I think that has been irresponsible of them. They don't hold all the responsibility for people breaking their rules, but you have to think about that if you're the stewards of all this personal information. They, they've pledged to go out and find other ones and you're, you're, you're suspecting they'll find it. Um, I mean, it does raise the question that I think our audience would be really interested in about the, the relationship between Facebook um, and maybe Twitter and and researchers, academic researchers like yourself. Um, and because you, you probably wouldn't um, advocate them cutting you off, I imagine. No, I mean, if they cut us off, that's really bad. How can they protect, how can they protect users, you know, like many of our audience, while also kind of allowing um, genuine research to happen? Yeah, um, this is such an important point because it's a real risk of the moment that we're in that they might just cut off this access. You know, researchers aren't, really the problem. So this guy, Cambridge Analytica, totally broke the rules. But generally, we're not the ones that are collecting all of these huge amounts of data. And we're not making any money off them, right? All we want to do is science with it. Facebook, Twitter, they have their own research teams internally that are doing this. But if you only have the research done internally, you're not getting this kind of critical eye to it. Um, so you know, sure, there's some risk in having academics have this data, but we are all governed by very strict strict ethics rules within the university. Um, I need a board to approve every experiment I do with personal data. It has a schedule for when I destroy it. It requires me to say how I'm going to encrypt it, what computer it's going to be on, who's going to have it, is the office going to be locked where the computer is? I mean, it really gets detailed about protecting that data. Um, so sure, I could break those rules. I'd probably get fired. <laughs> I think I would get fired if I did that. I'm surprised that Cambridge hasn't fired the guy. Yeah, right? I mean, it should be a big deal. It should be a big deal. Um, and we go through hours of training about this. I mean, there's a very strong infrastructure in place that grew out of really terrible things like the Tuskegee experiments, right? Non-consensual medical experiments. That's the foundation of our ethics rules. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, those are there for a reason we are less of a worry than say random companies who are building apps who you're going to give the data to, right? Who could then sell it and aggregate it and do all these other things. So cutting researchers out is sort of like the worst step because they're the ones who are going to figure out, you know, what are the bad ways that this could be used? What are the good ways it could be used? That's not just making money for companies. Um, but if you cut the researchers off, that, you know, you're still Facebook, Twitter, they're still making money from apps and third party developers. So they'll still be giving your data out. They'll just be giving it to the riskiest people and keeping it away from the people like me who want to do good things with it. It's, it's easy, I think, with the news of the last few weeks to lose heart in a way, especially for, for people who are more surprised by this. You know, you, you've been in this for a while, Jen. But what is your, since you have thought about this more, are you... Uh, are you optimistic that we can get past this phase that, I mean, or is it such that because of the, because of the findings you had and because of this, what this um, Cambridge Analytica scandal tells us that there's, is there any way to have a, an open social media world that doesn't have these abuses and doesn't have um, this kind of dystopian feeling um, vibe that we're, we're kind of experiencing right now? 
Uh, I definitely have probably more dystopian moments than hopeful ones. Um, I could really see us going into like a dark decade or two in terms of this. Uh, what I'm a little more hopeful about now is that this may be a moment, right? Like I said, I've talked about this for four years. And like, on one hand, you feel sort of powerless, like, great, all these companies are taking this data. I can't stop them. I don't have any power to stop them. I can't just go offline, right? Like, that's not a reasonable suggestion for living modern life. What do I do? Like, I don't like it, but like, I have no power to do anything about it. And I'm hoping that this kind of Cambridge Analytica moment, along with all the other privacy stuff, it's not just them, it's like all kinds of stuff kind of piling out the last month, that that's really going to be the moment that makes us as a country go like, okay, I'm not good with this, right? Like, we need more regulations. I was, if you had asked me three months ago, are we going to have regulation about this? Certainly, if you had asked me kind of right after the election, I would have said no. Like, we're not getting anything for probably four or five years. You know, maybe if the Democrats win in the midterms, we would have seen we would see something. Maybe it would be, you know, till the end of the Trump administration, whenever that is. Um, and just as a side note, I don't think this is necessarily a conservative liberal issue. I think there's a really strong like conservative privacy position. Just our current politics is one where it's kind of become a Republicans keep voting against the privacy rules one, um, which is more of a political moment than a party thing. In any case, uh, I didn't have any hope for much of anything to happen for a while. But now, like, I think we're really going to get... Um, one law that had been bandied around for social media companies to have to identify um, the funders of political ads, which is like this little transparency measure. Other media has to do it. It's why you get like on TV, like this ad was paid for by such and such. Um, Social media companies, online advertisers have been exempted from that. They fought really hard to be exempted. Facebook endorsed Mm -hmm. that bill last week, uh, which I think they did because they knew it was coming, right? It was going to happen one way or another. Um, But I think that's going to be a first piece of legislation that we're going to see, which gives me a little hope. Um, Similarly, in Europe, they just introduced something which if you've been following the GDPR, those may be four letters that you keep hearing, um, which is the new privacy regulations for Europe, which are very strict and very strong. Um, All the social media companies, since they also operate in Europe, are going to have to offer those kinds of protections to their European users maybe some of those are going to come to us as American users and maybe some pieces we're not going to, we're very far in the U S from having the equivalent of like a European privacy law, but we may get little bits of that, right? It may be that we start seeing that offered to Europeans and say, yeah, we're going to do some of that. So I do see that there's a path we could take that gets us some protection that starts regulating this a little bit. Um, In the long term. I don't know. I would love to see us like get some really strong privacy regulations. There's also talk, and, and I haven't figured out if this is a great idea or not, but about having something like a social media platform, a thing like Facebook, run by a public entity, sort of like the post office, right? To almost offer it as like a utility because you need that kind of thing uh, just to you know, maintain modern interactions with people. Uh, I don't know the right way to do that, but I think it's a really intriguing idea to essentially say, it's not going to be for profit. It's not going to be like, you know, just like the government can't go through your mail without a warrant. They can't go through your social media profile. To start a kind of US Postal Service Facebook or something. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an idea that that I've heard uh, kind of bandied around, which 
you know, it would take a lot of thinking about the right way to do that. Um, it would obviously be really expensive, right? Running something like Facebook, just in terms of the computational power, the code is it's hugely expensive. Um, but we've come to rely on a lot of these sorts of things. And it would be hard to just like if you took away the internet, it would make a big difference. If you took away social media, it would make a big difference. So maybe we need to start offering this as something that remains free, but comes from a different place that's not kind of profiting off our personal data. It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, And whether it is a postal service or it is a nonprofit, um, you know, that's an alternative that I think is worth considering as we go forward. I, that's a long way down the road kind of thing. I can't imagine seeing even glimmers of it before five years and maybe more like 10 or 15. Um, but it's interesting, right? It's interesting how we're starting to finally think about different ways of doing this. Yeah, you know, I wonder, um, I'm not sure how much you would track this. We've been trying to figure this out ourselves of how many educational apps might have done, you know, um, what you and others did with the data that Facebook allowed several years ago that also allowed the Cambridge Analytica, um, in, in that case, like you said, breach of the rules. But do you think there are educational apps out there that might have been doing some of this as well? Yes, yeah, so I don't know any in particular, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, the, the main kind of concerning thing about that wasn't so much that like if you installed my app, that I could grab your data, right? Because you kind of knew you were installing my app. It was that if you installed my app... Whoever the app creator was, yeah. Right, right. Um, So you kind of knew that something was going on there. But the the problem was if you installed my app, I could grab all of your data and all of your friends' data. Um, And I used to actually show this to my students to be like, hey, you guys, you got to be careful about this. Um, But it was so easy to do. I mean, it was literally one line of code. You could grab all of that. And there's interesting things you could do with it, whether it's, you know, if one of those people eventually installed the app, you could suggest that, you know, they connect on it. Um, You could use it to find out other stuff. So I would not at all be surprised to find out that there were some kind of educational apps that were grabbing that friend data and using it, you know, maybe not in a super sophisticated way, but using it to do something to kind of personalize uh, you know, their known users experience. Uh, but that of course means then they're holding data from lots of people who never consented for them to have it. So hopefully, you know, all these apps are going to start going back through their data and figuring out like how they got it and what they're going to do with it and cleaning up some of that stuff that they really shouldn't have. And what do you recommend that Facebook do in your ideal world? Oh, I've got so many to do for <laughs> Facebook. Um, Let's see if we can get you know, Mark Zuckerberg to join us in this shindig uh, and search uh, yeah, live. That'd be great. Uh, let me give you like a top three. Um, and, and I haven't thought about this ranked, but I'll give you three that kind of come to mind first. One is that um, I think posts should be able to have an expiration date. I actually think like ephemerality, if that's a word, um, is super critical going forward with social media. And we're seeing a lot of people shift to, you know, using things like Snapchat for a lot of interactions where the stuff goes away. Uh, I actually do this in my own social media use. I like on Facebook, I use a tool called Facebook Timeline Cleaner. Every two weeks I run it, I delete anything that's more than two weeks old. So there's not much data there. None of these algorithms work on me. Um, And if you go back, like if you look at social media posts that you wrote like six months ago, they're usually like mortifying, especially on Facebook. Um, I think letting people see the data that Facebook has about them and 
insist that it be deleted, which is something that Europeans are going to get in the GDPR. Um, I think that's really important. And you can get that now looking at this Facebook archive, which is the thing that's kind of been in the news where people have been finding out all this stuff that Facebook has. Um, But having the right to say, you know what, Facebook, you have these call logs, get rid of all of it. Um, Or for me to come in, like if I weren't a Facebook user and say, show me everything you have about me and to tell them to delete it. um, I think that's a right that people should have. And, uh, you know, it's like a really bad sounding argument for Facebook to say no. You know, if I say, I don't want you to have this and Facebook goes, well, no, we're going to keep it anyway. Like that doesn't feel good to kind of say, well, we've kept it. And even though you don't consent to us having it, we're going to keep it anyway. Um, so, and so I think Facebook, that's I go do that. I do the timeline cleaner. Does just doesn't Facebook still have that data, though? Yeah, they do. Um, for some amount of time. Right. So they say eventually they will delete it. It's not clear that they do that. Um, but yeah, but what it does do in terms of protecting you is that none of these apps, none of these third party stuffs like Cambridge Analytica or researchers like me or any other apps, they can't get it even if Facebook keeps a copy. So you're much, you're not a hundred percent protected, but you're like 99% protected. Right. So then you're Um, only dealing with being the potential bad actor. Um, that's right. That's right. Um, and then I guess the third thing and, you know, they, they may be doing a version of this is that I'd really like to see them have a board of like technically educated advisors on these mm. privacy issues to really push them to be like, this is a bad idea. I don't care about how it affects your bottom line. Like I care how it affects your users and their privacy and you need to do better here. Um, because it seems like from the stuff that they've been saying that they really haven't been considering how could this be misused? How is, how is this going to be perceived by people? Um, and if they're not considering that well enough internally, like get, a, get, get together a board of like people like me, people from other fields to come in and, and really have those conversations, talk to their developers about it. So they can't have any more claims of like, gosh, we didn't know that this would upset people, right? Or we didn't know that this would be bad. Have people that are coming in to tell you that. Um, I'm happy to volunteer if you get Mark Zuckerberg around uh, to, to be that person. Well, thank you so much for taking, taking time this afternoon to, to join us and share your views. Um, I, I think I'm afraid we're out of time, but but it's it's been really interesting, and I look forward to, to watching your work as we go forward. Thanks. It was my pleasure. This has been the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm not going to ask you to go to our Facebook page or anything right now, but um, we would love it if you rate or review our podcast on wherever you listen. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.